Scripture reading this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. And if you're using one of these blue Bibles, it's on page 411. Book of Ruth, and we're going to read the entire first chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. It's the word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
So this morning, uh, we actually get to explore what I'll call the off-road discipline of all off-road disciplines. And what I mean by that is we're going to look at experiences of suffering and how it impacts our connection with God and with community. And so when I say off-road discipline of all off-road disciplines, when we're off-road, our potential for getting lost is high, right? When we don't know the roads that we're on, when we're navigating a new path, perhaps, you know, we're on new, in new territory, uh, driving in an area we've never been in. Well, experiences of grief and loss are often like that. They change our landscape. They change our kind of orientation and where we're going and, and can cause a tremendous amount of disorientation. And if this last year has taught us anything, <laughs> It is an experience where it could easily cause us disorientation. I mean, even now, the, the increase in COVID cases. And, you know, for, for me, I'm ready to ramp up for the fall and, and kind of move forward into the new, a school year starting and new opportunities at the church. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of this downshift because of this Delta variant and concerns there. And it just, we, it, it's just so discombobulating. Well, the good news in scripture is that there are those who experience similar circumstances, but made a brave choice to navigate those circumstances in light of their faith and in community with other people. And we can learn a lot from them. So today we're going to look at Ruth 1, the entire chapter of Ruth 1, uh, because it holds together as one united story. And in looking at this chapter, I want you to look for clues, even as we read it, of how you can stay connected to God and connected with other people in the midst of your own trials and challenges. It's in small print on your insert, bigger print on the screen. So you may want to follow along that way. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from, Be- they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any other or any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? 
Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Give us comfort and encouragement, hope in the knowledge of you, that in spite of experiences of grief and loss and suffering, there still can be good that you bring into our lives again. The good that is you and the good that you can bring through your redemptive work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt like God is against you? Because of some experience of grief, loss, or suffering, some difficulty or tragedy that just caused you to wonder how a good and loving God could possibly allow that to happen? If you so, you're in good company. There are people like Naomi and Ruth and Scripture that wrestled with the same question, wrestled to understand their present experiences in light of what they thought to be true of God, and wrestled with how to stay connected not only with God in the midst of those experiences, but with others. As I started with prior to reading the scripture, suffering leads us off road. It causes us to detour in life, and it can cause a a disorientation, a sense of feeling lost. So the question is, how can we be reoriented in relationship with God? And what can we learn from these two? What we find first is that they lived in the days when the judges ruled. And if we look in scripture, the period of the judges was, you know, after Joshua had come in and taken the promised land and before uh, the monarchy, kings were set up like Saul and David. And this period of the judges was described as a period of total chaos. In Judges 17, 6 and 21, 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Or in the language of the message, people did whatever they felt like doing. In Judges 2, it talks about the people of Israel did not know the Lord and what they had done for Israel. In other words, people lost their connection with redemptive history. 
It says that they had forgotten the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt. So, so they basically lost sight of or forgot the major rescuing effort that God had done for his people. They forgot their past history and God, how God had rescued and redeemed them. And therefore, they lost sight of what God might be doing in the present And as a result, it says they worshiped and followed other gods, the gods of the people around them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. In other words, God is saddened and angry over the fact that they've forgotten all that the Lord had done for them. And as a result, they're basically just living without a moral compass, and everybody is just doing what they want, and there's basically societal chaos. Does that sound familiar or feel familiar? Because in the last 18 months or so, I think that's in some ways what we feel. We see anarchy around us related to to response to government and acting out of anger and frustration. Some of that anger and frustration valid. We see different approaches to COVID and responses both on individuals part and the part of community. And it just feels disorienting. Well, in the midst of that, there's good news. Because in the, the days and age of the judges, there were people like Ruth who reflected character and consistency in the midst of all that chaos. They reflected a loyalty, a love, and a, a kindness in relationship to other people. And as a result of Ruth's response, we not only see that she experiences redemption for her hurts and losses, but she becomes part of the redemptive narrative of God because her son would ultimately be an ancestor of King David, and ultimately be an ancestor of Jesus the Christ. Ruth and Naomi lived in a time of societal chaos because of this period of the judges, but then they experienced another kind of chaos as a result of the famine in Judah. As a result of that crisis, which again was a communal crisis, Naomi not only had the loss of everyone doing what they wanted in society, they now had the loss of place because where they had lived in Bethlehem didn't have any food. And in this time of the famine, Elimelech's family married to Naomi and their two sons left Bethlehem and went all the way to Moab and lived in Moab. Now in The story of Ruth, the names of places and people are hugely significant, perhaps more than any other book of the Bible. And so note that the name Bethlehem meant the house of bread or the house of food. So basically what's happening here is the house of bread or the house of food doesn't have any food. And so they have to leave. They're displaced. They're separated from their their families, their origins, their their neighborhood, their community. They experience the loss or grief of displacement. And that by itself can also be incredibly disorienting. And then there's a further slide into suffering and grief. As we find that that after they go to Moab, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. And then, even more profoundly, after they had lived there 10 years, the two sons, Malon and Kilion, also die, leaving Naomi and Ruth and Orpah as widows. The names Malon and Kilion mean sickness and pining away, and, and their lives reflect that narrative. There's sickness, and there's death, and there's familial grief. So much so that Naomi is left in this place of emptiness, 
And her husband's name, Elimelech, it means my God is king. So the question becomes, who's king? Who's, who's leading all this? Who's in charge? What's going on? And, and if the Lord is king, and if he is good, and he is in charge, why is all this happening? And Naomi even experiences, you know, a personal confusion of her naming and identity. Her name meant pleasant or sweetness. But two places in this passage, we see her saying, don't call me Naomi. (laughs) Things have not been pleasant in my life. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. And we can see that there's a, a bitterness that Naomi, now call me Mara, is carrying. And you know, Losses like she experiences do not leave us, you know, uh, benign. They do not leave us the same. They are a landscape changing type of loss. And the question is, based on that change and the, the, tra- the changes that had occurred, where is she going to go? How is she going to experience this? And in one sense, we could e- say that she could easily go into a place of just resignation or forlornness, a sense of feeling lost and like life can never be good again. But there also can be a place of growth and acceptance. And it comes out of an understanding of who God is and how God might be able to work and how we can relate to him and stay connected in him. You see, sometimes people attribute evil directly to God. And and what scripture tells us is God doesn't do evil. In places like James and other places, God doesn't directly do evil, cause evil. Okay, But God does use evil to work in his redemptive history and plans. He unfolds the sinfulness of humanity into his great grand narrative and story, most fully in Jesus and his death for us. But in every way, God uses those, those detours, let's say, off-road because of humanity's sinfulness and, 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 and uses those to, to transform people and situations to try to turn them back to him. And for Naomi, there's a sense of, of, of feeling lost and everything's changed and everything's different. There's a disorientation. But also notice that she continues in communication with God. She says, the Lord has made my life very bitter. The Lord has done these things. Notice she doesn't say, I guess there is no God. Notice she doesn't turn into an atheist through her experience. She actually goes even more deep into a relationship with God. And like the Psalms of Lament in the Bible, she cries out to God. And she, and she wrestles with him over her experience. She, she clings to him even more. And as a result, we're going to see a transformation of Naomi, who now is in this place of emptiness, who comes back to a place of fullness. But if she hadn't wrestled with God in her experiences, she wouldn't have experienced the type of transformation we see from despair to a place of hopefulness and encouragement, where life can be good again, even if it's a different kind of good. It's clear here that God uses her tragedies to wake her up and draw her back to him. But her part in that story, our part in that story, is a willingness to allow her grief and loss to to deepen her relationship. A writer, John Claypool, in his book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, says it this way. If we're willing, the experience of grief can deepen and widen our ability to participate in life. We can be more open-handed in our handling of the events of life. We can be more sensitive to the whole mysterious process of life and more trusting in our adventure with God. 
Jerry Sitzer in his book, A Grace Disguise, says, it's not therefore the experience of loss that becomes the defining moment of our lives, for that is as inevitable as death, which is the last loss awaiting us all. It is how we respond to loss that matters. That response will largely determine the quality and the direction and the impact of our lives. It's not therefore true that we become less through loss unless we allow our losses to make us less, grinding down our souls until there's nothing left but an external self entirely under the control of circumstances. Loss can also make us more if we remain open to God. In the darkness, we can experience God's light. Or in the language of writer Nicholas Wolstersdorf, the valley of suffering can be the veil of soul-making. It can be what shapes our souls, and it will shape our souls. The question is whether that will be for good or for evil. My own story is one of tremendous mystery and tragedy, as well as redemption and healing and recovery. As many of you know, in 2004, uh, Beth and I experienced the death of our eight-year-old daughter, Kylie, who had born with, been born with severe disabilities, but then uh, caught a bacterial infection uh, that ran through her system very quickly, and she died suddenly. And the profound nature of that loss sort of set us on that off-road kind of course of, hey, we're in new territory here. How do we understand this in relationship with God? But what I can say made the difference for us, and I believe makes the difference for Naomi and Ruth in this story, is that we stayed in communication with God. We kept crying out to God and, 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 and letting him know how, how hurt and confused we were, how angry, how sad, how lost. And we also bet on the church. We basically put in all, all our, our sort of our, our, our sense of whether we could make it through and grow and recover. We bet on the church and we invested more in the church and we found that the church showed up for us. Instead of isolating ourselves in our grief and becoming lonely and only more lost, we actually stepped towards community and allowed that church to, to care for us and surround us and lead us in our recovery. And that's what I see happening for Naomi and Ruth here. What they see, what Naomi sees, is in spite of, of the malaise that she's in and the disorientation, she sees that God enters into the suffering of his community. She sees God at work. Notice she says, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. In other words, Bethlehem, the house of bread, has bread again. It has food again. And Naomi decides to prepare to return home and set out on the road that would take her back to Judah. Now, if she was done with the God of Israel, if she had been so hurt by him, so confused by him because of her suffering, why would she go back? But in the midst of the hurt and the loss and the confusion, she actually, she hears that the Lord has come to the aid of his people. And she believes that, she can, that he can do that for her. And she takes steps back towards Bethlehem. For many, if they're in Naomi's place, they're going to stay in Moab or go farther away from Bethlehem. But instead, she takes steps towards her original community, and people, and ultimately, God. 
It's only as they set out on this off-road adventure on the road back to Bethlehem and they're taking steps towards, you know, re-entering the covenant community of Israel uh, with the Lord as their God that, that somewhere along the way, Naomi steps and she stops and she's basically done the math and she turns to her daughters-in-law and says, you know, why go back with me? Go back to your own people. Am I, am I going to be able to provide sons that you can marry? Uh, no, things are worse for me now because I'm, I'm older and there's no chance of remarriage. And, and basically, sticking with me isn't your best shot. And I love the way that both Orpah and Ruth respond originally. They, they weep and they say, no, we're going to go with you. And, but, but again, you know, Naomi just says, hey, you know, it's, this isn't the best direction for you. But notice that she blesses them. She says, may the Lord show kindness to you. If she didn't believe that God could show kindness again and redeem their hurts and losses, would she extend that kind of blessing? Maybe she'd say, well, hopefully the God Shemosh of the Moabite people, hopefully he'll help you out. But instead, she extends this blessing. May the Lord be kind to you again. And the Hebrew word here is hesed. May he show his loving kindness to you. May he wrap you in his loving arms. May he bring you peace and comfort again. So she's basically saying, don't ultimately look for that in the arms of another husband. Look for that healing and hope in God. The ultimate spouse, essentially. And she says, may you find rest and may the Lord grant you that each of you will find rest. And, and the word rest is, includes the ideas of peace, security, blessing. Uh, ultimately, the only God can provide. Essentially, she's saying, may you experience that kind of Sabbath rest that God took on the seventh day of creation. And may you find rest for your souls, peace, a sense of contentment. And so as she extends that blessing, she's basically saying she believes that God can do that for them. Her cry out to God in authenticity, her lament is a step towards God in authenticity and communication. But also her step back towards going back to Bethlehem is a step back into community. And what we find is she becomes a type of, of wounded healer where in her own hurts and losses, God ministers to her in them and she becomes a source of, of hope and healing for other people. And particularly, Ruth becomes that for her. Notice the two big choices. Orpah says, okay, I'm going back to my own people. She places her hope there. And she isolates herself in that from the people, Naomi and Ruth, who knew most her loss and experience, her grief. There have been different times in the challenges of life and marriage where you know, Beth and I are wrestling with things. But, but if I'm ever like, man, this is just marriage is hard or this and that, I, I come back to this reality of if I were separated from her in any way, I'd be separated from the one who knows my story the most on earth. It'd be separating myself from the one who, who knows me intimately and has wrestled with these questions with me and who, I, who I've drawn closer to through all these experiences and deeper in relationship with. Ruth makes this courageous choice. Well, Orpah goes back to her own people. Ruth stay, stays with Naomi and suffers in community with Naomi. And you get these profound confessions of faith. Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. 
Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates me from you. You know, grief by its very nature isolates us. It is a discipline to stay connected in communication with God and to stay connected in a community of faith. And Ruth chooses the off-road discipline of suffering in community by stepping forward with Naomi. She makes a radical commitment relationally by sticking it out with Naomi and journeying together and grieving together. She makes a radical statement of faith in God. I, I believe that this God can help me. I believe that there's still hope for me and that that direction, the, the, the direction of faith and trust in God and, and his coming to the aid of the community is where her hope lies. I love those statements. Where you go, I will go. I'm, I'm with you, Naomi, in this, as hard as it's been. And for you, church, online, in person, making a statement of faith and saying, I will go with you. In other words, I'm going to stay connected to this community of faith in spite of all the difficulties and challenges we have around us and and in uh, any church right now. Every church is struggling, trying to figure out the way forward. But this, where you go, I will go, to me, it's like that, the race at a picnic where, you know, you tie your legs together. It's a three-legged race, right? Is that what it would be? <laughs> My math's not always good. Um, but, you know, where you tie your leg with somebody else's leg, and you're going to move at their speed, and you're going to do this race together. That's what Ruth is saying to Naomi. I am tying my leg with yours, and we're going to limp forward together. And believe me, they're walking with a limp because of their grief and their loss. But they take steps forward together. Your people will be my people. Ruth is entering into the covenant community of God's people, Israel. We're in this together. We're going we're gonna to struggle together. And, and, and she basically subordinates her own interests and identity as a Moabitess. And she comes into and finds her identity in relationship with God and the community of Israel. She says, your God is my God. I, I, I'm placing my faith and trust in him. Not the Moabite, Moabite God, Shemosh, not any other source of help. And notice, too, she doesn't say, uh, I'm, my hope is in finding a new husband. No, she says, my, your God is my God. And as she finds her hope in God, what we're going to see in Ruth's redemptive narrative is she is given a new husband, and she's ultimately part of God's great grand redemptive story through the birth of a child that's an ancestor for David and Jesus. Not only does God redeem her as a result of her decisions, but she gets in on the redemptive story of all history. And guess what? When we place our faith in God and when we suffer in connection and community with other people, it is not just for us. It's for our witness to the surrounding community. Those people stuck it out together. This is part of why Beth and I renewed our vows, you know, two years ago now or a year and a half, whatever it was, our 25th wedding anniversary. Because God had stuck with us and we had made a commitment to stick it out together. And I wonder, who are those people for you? The people that have come alongside you in your grief and loss and difficulties and, and walked with you and, and stayed faithful to God in relationship with you. Have you thanked those people recently? 
Yesterday was the birthday of uh, my friend Dale Johnson. He was turning 89. And Dale was the one who really walked with me most closely through my grief and loss when my daughter died. And, and Dale lives alone. He's pretty isolated these days. His wife died about five years ago. But it was his birthday. And I called him and I just part said, Dale, thank you for walking with me through this. Thank you for being there for Beth and I, doing her graveside service, walking and listening, caring, being a sounding board, meeting with me regularly. And he just said, you're welcome. That's what life's about, doing life together. I also called a friend who uh, God invited me to stick with in his uh, hardest moments. Um, my friend, uh, who's my closest friend from seminary, uh, some years after entering into ministry, uh, actually had an affair, committed adultery. And I still remember the call when he called me that night and confessed to me what he had done. And I remember this key moment of just like impulse of wanting to like hang up the phone, cut myself off from communication with him. And yet I felt God's nudge to say, I love you. You know, you're my friend. And, and I, wanna, I wanna support you through this. And not because of the choice that I made in this, but because of God's redemptive work in, in my friend's life, he and his wife, original wife, just celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. Because people walked with them through the sinfulness of that, stayed with them, encouraged them, became a conduit of God's care and comfort for them. So they put one foot in front of another and, and suffered through that in community and connection with one another and grew in their marriage. It's now been a ministry to many people of God's redemptive power. Church, I encourage you, make a commitment. This is personal, what it will look like for each one of you, but make a commitment to core relationships. Don't allow suffering to separate you. Allow that suffering to lead you more deeply into community. Make a commitment to community. Now is not the time to separate yourself from your growth group, a Stephen minister, a mentor, a friend, a counselor. Be even more connected with them. And if you don't have that place of connection, look at your bulletin, accept the invitation that Greg extended prior to the message. Take a step towards participating in a growth group, connecting with other people, and make a commitment to God. And that means wrestling with him. My encouragement to you here is find your voice through the Psalms of Lament and the Bible. They often ignite our own prayers. I'll commend to you Psalm 13 as a great psalm that just ignites my prayers to God. I pray that psalm and I'm like ready to be real with God and not be fake, not hide my hurts, my losses, pains and sorrows, but be honest about that at a gut level of connection with him, to cry out to him, confess how hard this last year, 18 months has been and make a commitment over the long haul a commitment to a long obedience in the same direction. Make a decision that you're going to continue to walk with God and walk with other people in community as hard as it is. Because I truly believe that if you do that, like Naomi, you will experience a, a movement from whatever emptiness you feel right now to a sense of fullness in relationship with God and others. I love the hint of hope at the end of this passage, and we'll end with this. Did you catch what's going on in Bethlehem when they arrive back? It's harvest time. And it's a hint of hope that there's going to be a, a harvest 
of, of hope and restoration for them. And as they return to Bethlehem, the start of harvest, the rest of the story unfolds. If you haven't read it recently, read the book of Ruth because God shows up, not only for his people generally, but for Naomi and Ruth particularly. He provides a husband for Ruth and eventually they bear a son that, as I said, is the ancestor of David and Jesus. Not only is Ruth and Naomi's story redeemed, is she moved out of her bitterness and back into a place of fullness and joy, but they get to be a part of God's great story of doing that as well. I'm not sure whatever step God may be calling you to take right at this moment related to stepping forward in community and suffering in the context of community, but my invitation to you is take some step of action towards God and towards others. Don't walk alone if you're hurting right now, but seek hope so that you might ultimately experience God's healing. And if this church isn't a place uh, where the suffering are finding support and care, then we're not who we are. It's meant to be. My hope and prayer is that fundamentally this is a place where the suffering find the support they need to grow through their grief and loss, where they find encouragement and we each become people that not only have found God's comfort ourselves, but we become conduits of God's comfort for other people who are in need of hope and healing as well. Amen. Yeah. 